This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 22, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. How young people learn history, and importantly, what they learn about history, is a matter of great debate right now. Connor Boyack with the Libertas Institute in Utah is co-author of a new set of books on history for young people, America's History. We discuss the fight over teaching history to young people today and what leads some people to view history not through a lens of liberty or mere facts, but through a lens of contemporary politics and why they might fear acknowledging truths about the lived experiences of Americans' past. So, Caleb, I think part of the problem here is that we've been teaching kids history in exactly the wrong way. A couple of years ago, our team opened up a whole bunch of social studies books that are being used in most of the schools uh, kind of like fifth to eighth grade, roughly. And what we found in all these textbooks was they were chock full of interesting tidbits, right? Like, hey, on this date, this happened. This guy wrote a letter to this person. This happened and so forth. But none of these books talked about conceptual like values, ideas, philosophies. You're probably familiar with this quote, those who don't learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. The problem is that these books are not teaching kids to learn from the past. They're simply teaching kids about the past. I, I I liken it to going into an American history museum and we're like, hey kids, look, this is the uniform they used to wear and look at a cannonball and a musket and here's some hardtack that they ate. And it's all curious. It's all whimsical and interesting about our past, but none of it, it's like, okay, let's go to the cafeteria, moving on. It's just so superficial. So what we're trying to correct for is how can we teach kids today to learn from the past and take a concept or an event or a debate from say 250 years ago and apply it to something happening today so that we can learn from and then apply those ideas. So that's kind of what we're up to with our new history books with the Tuttle Twins and, and solve for that precise issue. So, uh, can, you know, history is also decontextualized, right? You don't, you ne- there, you know, there are several different ideas about how history ought to be presented, right. uh, in, in particular to young people. There's the great man history where mm-hmm. it's like great men did X, great men did sure. Y. There's uh, the victors writing the war, the history all right. the time. And right. There's movement history, which mm-hmm. is like you might might most closely associate that with somebody like Howard Zinn, mm-hmm. who you know for for all his faults wrote interesting stuff about yeah. group dynamics and movements that sure. uh, move through time. Uh, and then there's the lived experience of actual regular people in a time and place, and what people may have thought about X, Y, mm-hmm. and Z. Where does this fit in? That's a great question. I, I want to answer it this way. I hated history in school. It's so fun for me to be doing a history book because I did not enjoy it. And it's because it was content without the context. So for you to say history is contextual, I completely agree. But the way the kids are taught, there's no context. And now we're seeing with projects like the 1619 Project, for example, they're trying to frame the past with a different context so that we change the definition of who we are today. Are we a you know white supremacist, horrible society built on you know invalid structures of oppression? Um, and what direction should we go in the future? So our take is we need to frame history in a way that's going to better serve us to pursue happiness and have freedom today and in the future. So I would, I don't know if I had to pick between what you're saying, I, I kind of feel like it's a blend. We do talk about, you know, movements. We do talk about kind of broader patterns and trends that were happening in society. 
you know, we, we lean a lot about uh, Murray Rothbard once did a series of books called Conceived in Liberty, where he had, had kind of like a countercultural libertarian take on American history. So he's got a lot of interesting nuggets in there that we glean from. Fundamentally, what we're trying to do is just say, look, in high school, everyone has to read the Federalist Papers. You know, here's why the Constitution is important, and it's prop it's pro Constitution propaganda. It wasn't until after college that I even became aware that there exists such a thing as the Anti Federalist Papers. Volumes, volumes right. of Anti Federalist. And I had writing. no idea. And so, what we're trying to do in our books is not just to pinpoint and say this is the framing of the past or this is what you need to think, but instead, hey, let's surface up the ideas from the Anti Federalists and evaluate them against the Federalists. And hey, kids reading, what do you think? And so it's, as we look at history, we're trying to not just let the victors write the the history because yay, we were right, yo, you know, uh, go constitution. Instead, can we go back and find these interesting debates and things that have modern relevance and let's get kids critically thinking about what's happening in our world today served by the lessons of the past that might inform them to make better decisions and opinions now and in the future. So this is in, this is in some ways an ideological project, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, all of Tuttle Twins essentially is. So we're we're transparent about that too. And so, uh, who who grabs onto this and says, "Let's do this. I want it." Oh, this is the weird question. So we're recording this here at Freedom Fest, and in 2014 in Las Vegas at Freedom Fest is when we launched the Tuttle Twins books. And at first the thought was, hey, we're doing, you know, Bastiat and Hayek and all these like libertarian type free market folks. Let's go to Freedom Fest. That's our audience. And so we go and, you know, a lot of people are older here. So it's like, get this for your grandkids or whatever. But the libertarian community is very small. So then we had to be like, oh, how do we market this to conservatives? And so, hey, conservatives, this teaches freedom. This teaches the American values. This, and so we have a huge... Uh, segment of our readership that's conservatives. But even beyond then, we have a lot of people who are independent, uh, a lot of people who are kind of politically agnostic. And uh, and so it ends up serving a broader age range. We're getting these books into schools and libraries. So yes, we're kind of transparent about coming at this from a pro-liberty perspective and everything that we're doing. Uh, and and I'm not going to say that we're in you know some inner city leftist kind of community that is you know all about critical race theory and 1619 project. They're probably not going to love what we're doing, uh, but we're having a broad. I don't know. There's a large audience that we can play with beyond the core libertarian faithful, where we can attract people to come learn about this kind of stuff. So what do you make of uh, because this is on right and left. There's a lot of pressure, especially on public schools, to teach this or that a certain way. Right. Um, you know, there is, uh, I can't remember who it was, some uh, public official in Oklahoma giving a speech, basically saying that it was inappropriate or wrong or should not be taught that the Tulsa race riots about a hundred years, just over a hundred years ago were because of race. Mm. And it, that happens on the left as well as the right. And there are, uh, all manner of uh, legis legislating going on in state legislatures that not only can you not teach this, but when you approach, say, political science, the following texts right. must be included. Now, to me, the, the clear takeaway is, well, clearly the government should not be in charge of these institutions. Completely. And and I think ultimately beyond that, the the problem is that we're talking ultimately about central planning. So at a high level, yes, the government shouldn't be involved, but fundamentally we're saying some school board or curriculum committee is going to get together and decide what every kid needs to learn at the same age in the same way. 
This is why uh, recently the NAEP score when they came out showed that only 13% of eighth graders are proficient in American history. Whatever way we're, we're doing it in the schools, right, left, whatever you want to call it, it's not working. Kids are not learning history. And so I think we need to come up with a new way. Uh, if central planning is, you know, the the bad route to take, I think the good is let's have critical thinking. Let's have a variety of options to learn from. Let's have different curricula that challenges our assumptions and let's expose kids to a wide range of viewpoints. But when you get some school board or principal or someone coming in and saying, thou shalt read from this textbook and thou shalt not debate that issue, um, I, I think that's to our collective societal detriment because kids are just now disengaging. They don't care about history anymore. They're checking out. And I worry at a broader context about what that means for our society if entire generations are growing up completely ignorant of and apathetic to the values and the traditions from our past. And there's also sort of an infantilization that goes on, I think, in schools for aimed at kids, which is we don't trust them to deal with you know, highly sensitive issues. Right. And, and classrooms are the places where you are supposed to be able to, uh, in a you know, a respectful, uh, thoughtful way, deconstruct and uh, try to pick at pick apart the good versus the bad of what has occurred in the the United States. Especially on college campuses, one would assume that you'd have that type of engagement, disagreement, critical thinking, and now everyone just wants safe spaces. Uh, our our project, Caleb, boils down to this, though. I, I think I think the ultimate responsibility is on the parents. I think ultimately this has to be taught and discussed and debated in the home. Classrooms are great extensions of that, but parents need to engage. And the problem that we've seen, even in our, call it freedom movement, however you want to broadly define that term, when we started doing the Tuttle Twins and still today, we've seen over and over again how parents who claim to believe in freedom or like liberty or whatever have at best a superficial understanding about it. And so then they don't know how to talk to their kids about it because they feel inadequate in their own public school level of comprehension about these ideas. So they don't talk to their kids about it. The kids are getting exposed to TikTok textbooks and all kinds of other garbage. And suddenly the kids are going down a totally different path and parents are like, what happened to my kid? Why are they social justice warriors now? You know? So fundamentally, what we're trying to do is equip parents in a super easy way to just say, just read these stories with your kids. There's discussion questions at the end. Have some amazing conversations. Hey, parents, you don't have any prerequisites. There's no homework. You don't need to know anything. Let's just give you some tools so that you can talk together and we can deepen our understanding as families and have these debates in the home across the dinner table. Do you think that in part in talking about the you know, horrible things that have happened in American history that some people are just ashamed of it to the point of not wanting to give the other side uh, a tool, a win, <laughs> a win by 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 recognizing and grappling with horrible atrocities that have occurred on U.S. soil. I, I think that's right, Caleb. I might go a step further. I, I think when people see things like the 1619 Project or people talking about reparations and all these things, I think it's not just hey, we don't want our opponents to get a W, right? We don't want them to, to win or, or succeed. I think it's also a fear that if they do win, if their narrative of history does prevail, then then these ideas are really like this, this core foundation is really what's under attack. American heritage, classical liberalism, free markets, you know, personal responsibility. 
And so I think part of it too is that when when people see these challenges of historical narrative and and reframing the past, um, it's not just your traditional political battle where you want to defeat the other guy and show that they're wrong. I think a lot of people are feeling like we're in a bit of an identity crisis as a country, as a society more broadly. And if we're allowing people to completely redefine and recast the framing of who we are, are we a heritage of this, you know, white supremacist society and we should just bow down to other people and and redistribute our wealth and have this progressive Marxist society? I think people fear about the ramifications of those types of ideas succeeding. So I, I think it's a bit more like, I don't know how I would say it, foundational or visceral feeling about this clash of of just civilizational perspectives is fundamentally what this, and I don't know that most people would kind of uh, say it in that way or or recognize that what's going on but I feel like that's ultimately what's going on people feel like we're losing our country and and all these people out here doing this kind of stuff they're ultimately trying to attack the foundations of this heritage that we have imperfect though it may be and it has warts and bumps and problems and everything else but I, th- I feel like it's this just this this transformational foundational thing that that ultimately is what we're up against. Yeah, there was a, a moment where when we, the United States, Joe Biden in particular, wanted to mark June, Juneteenth as a national holiday. Now, for libertarians, this is a great holiday. It's a fantastic holiday. It's a great. It's a fantastic liberation of a massive fraction of uh, the American population and yet there was in in or in some pockets people reacting to it negatively and uh these were mostly people who were on the right and my thought was you know what principles undergird your view of how the world ought to work if if you're unwilling to celebrate a, a one of the most tremendous liberations in American history. I think that's right. And and I think that does get more into the territory of not wanting to give the other side any type of victory. I think that's where we see more of this like catty type of, you know, behavior where people are disconnected from any kind of principled basis that should lead them to act as you're saying, which is no, this is a, you know, let's recognize this, let's celebrate it. Uh but I but I think people kind of di- get I don't know, a bit disconnected from it. And that's unfortunate. Um, ultimately I think a lot of people aren't, they don't operate from first principles and it's more reactionary to kind of what's going on and then social pressures kick in and what's everyone else doing and, you know, what's Twitter saying about it. So no, I think we need to evangelize that stuff where we can. And certainly that's what we're trying to do. We've now passed over 5 million books sold. We've got our cartoon, which you've uh, interviewed us for in the past. And uh, we're just trying to provide parents a different perspective and a set of tools where they can have these more deep, in-depth conversations rather than all this superficial stuff that they're getting on social media or in school. We really, like fundamentally, Caleb, I think that our country is not going to be saved at the Capitol. I don't think we're going to save our country at the courtroom. Uh, if if we're going to save our country, I think it's at the dinner table. I think it's parents and kids coming together, learning about the ideas of our past and applying them to build a better future together. Connor Boyack is the president of the Libertas Institute in Utah. We spoke last month in Memphis. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.